This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome in to the Hoisty Kellers podcast. We are quickly coming down the stretch run of this college baseball season. We have wrapped up the regular season, and we will now turn our attention to the postseason and talk a lot about ECU's conference championship of the regular season as well. To do that, I'm Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Jonathan Wagner. He's uh, back in his apartment. He's got his take warning sign on for the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and their playoff run. Uh, Jonathan, before we talk baseball, are the Hurricanes going to win it all? Um, I, I'll start, I'll say I've suffered through a lot of bad hockey throughout the years. They finally made it to the playoffs three years in a row. I think they've got just as good a chance of any, as anybody does, but they have to win today. But I think they have a serious shot, which is something I've been scared to say for a while, but I genuinely believe it's true. I hope so. Yeah, it's fun to watch the the Canes and the the atmosphere at home right now. It's it's special, especially after what we experienced last year. Uh, but yeah, maybe Jonathan has a side Hurricanes podcast he can do where we can talk more <laughs> Hurricanes. But uh, let's focus, of course, on ECU baseball. And you know, we were talking Jonathan before the show. Kind of a weird time, weird weekend, weird feeling because the Pirates they did what they were what they set out to do, which is win a a regular season conference championship. I don't think really anybody thought that it would happen after just the first day of play. And so that kind of made for a weird weekend. The Pirates end up going two and two in the South Florida series. Usually we go through each of these games, kind of break it all down. We're just going to kind of recap the the first two games in themselves and talk about the the conference championship, what that means uh, first off. And then we'll talk about what happened in the last two games collectively. But uh, you know, ECU goes into the weekend needing, you know, with a magic number of four. They needed some combination of either two wins or two two-lane losses or four ECU wins or, you know, whatever. Uh, they had to have a combination of uh, four either wins or two-lane losses, and they got that right out of the gate. They win game one, 10-1, to one, and what do you know, another Gavin Williams start, another monster performance from the offense. Uh, unfortunately, this would be really the only time the offense played extremely well all weekend. But ECU wins the game 10-1. to They get 16 hits, and Gavin Williams improves to 9-0. and um, This was just, again, what we've seen all year, Jonathan, is that when Gavin Williams is on the mound, this team not only brings it uh, defensively but offensively as well, and I think I, I sent you the numbers. I don't have them off the top of my head, but I think it's ECU has outscored opponents eighty-four to sixteen in Gavin Williams starts this year. Uh, that's pretty impressive, and they did it again in this series opener. That, that is pretty good, and I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the offense when they go out there and know that Gavin Williams is pitching, it gives them a little more freedom, a little less pressure to just go out there and hit. And I think it. 
it's it's worked so far. I mean, those numbers are absurd to do that with a single starting pitcher. And yeah, like we saw the rest of the weekend, you know, it, it's not the same when Gavin Williams isn't on the mound, the offense isn't. So it's it's interesting to watch, but on Thursday night, first game of the doubleheader, I mean, Connor Norby had a good game. First three-hit game, it feels like, in a while for him. And Lane Hoover, Zach Agnos, Ryder Giles, Riley Johnson, each with two hits apiece. And really just a really balanced approach. I believe every batter reached base at least once in the game. So, yeah, it was just a really solid all-around approach by the entire offense. The big six inning obviously sparked it. But really, everyone's chipped in and performed, and everyone performed well. And, yeah, it's impressive to see Gavin Williams, and it's nice to see Gavin Williams getting that kind of run support consistently throughout the season. Gavin Williams now 9-0 and in nine starts. Uh, and this one, he goes six innings pitch, three hits allowed, uh, one run, 11 strikeouts, and the most impressive number to me, Jonathan, zero walks, zero hit-by-pitches. I think that's the first time this year he's done neither of the free passes, at least in the start. 80 pitches over six innings. He probably could have gone seven or eight, but really no need to to extend him with the postseason coming up and with uh, a 10-to-1 lead at the time. So ECU takes care of business in game one, and at the same time we are scoreboard watching Cincinnati Tulane. I believe Cincinnati won that first game 10-6. to six. We all knew how good Cincinnati was going into the weekend. And really only playing ECU eight times is what has kept them down in the conference standings. But uh, Cincinnati ends up winning that game, so it sets up a scenario in the nightcap as the Pirates approach the second game of the doubleheader that if they win and Tulane loses, that the Pirates would wrap up the championship on day one of the series versus South Florida. So let's go into the nightcap. And again, more early offense from East Carolina, specifically in the third inning, they're able to scratch across five runs for a big inning against South Florida uh, starter Colin Sullivan, who's one of their better starters. Uh, ECU ends up taking advantage of some errors and some uh, miscues by South Florida, but they get the 5 nothing lead and uh, get a, a big home run from Bryson Worrell with a three-run shot, which uh, scored three unearned runs. And then really they held on from there, Jonathan. Tyler Smith did what Tyler Smith does. He, goes, he pitches into the fifth inning, gives up two runs. Again, he didn't walk or hit anybody, which I thought was a major improvement. He made South Florida hit its way on. And then you go to the big three out of the bullpen. Cam Colmore, C.J. Mayhew, Matt Bridges. They get the job done and really some superb defense behind them. And as this game is going on, Cincinnati rallies from, I can't even remember what the deficit was, but they were down pretty large. Uh, ended up hitting a home run late to take a lead and ended up beating Tulane by three runs. So ECU going to the latter part of this game, really the last inning, they knew if they won they would win the championship, or at least the fans did. And uh, some great defense and great relief pitching got that done. Yeah, for sure. The defense, I'm glad you mentioned it because this game is completely different without Ryder Giles and Connor Norby at the middle. And also, I believe Riley Johnson made a nice play in the – I don't know if that was the first game or the second game, but I know he made a diving catch in foul territory and right. So it was nice to see him make that play. But starting off in the bottom of the seventh inning, uh, I think it was – CJ knows CJ Mayhew started that inning on the mound, I believe. And maybe I'm wrong, but hit a batter and sacrifice bun moved him over to the second, gets to, gets to two outs. And Ryder Giles, there's a line drive hit, probably, I thought it was a mile over his head, but 
really nice leaping play by Ryder. And he gets up, makes a play, saves a sure run. And if if he doesn't make that play, then one run scores for sure. Who knows what happens the rest of the inning because you just never know in baseball. And then in the eighth inning, two walks um, issued and Matt Bridges comes in. And what do you know? Another great play, ground ball up the middle. Connor, Dor- Connor Norby shows his range, makes a nice diving stop, flips it to Ryder at short for the first out at second, gets it over to third for the double play. And again, without that, I think if that ball gets through the infield, I think one run scores. And then you probably have runners on first and second at least from there. So who knows where that inning goes again. I think without those two plays in this game, I think it might be a very different game, especially in a game where you're you're up 5-2 in the late innings and ECU's offense. After the fifth inning, nobody reached base. So we mentioned it, but the offense, I thought they looked good for the first five innings. Everyone, they only had eight hits, but everyone got a hit except for Thomas Francisco and Zach Agnos, each of which reached base via the walk. So everyone reached base again for ECU, which was nice to see. But when your offense isn't going, it's nice to know that your defense is at least behind your pitching staff, making those types of plays to keep you in the game. Yeah, huge defense. uh, That Norway play and the flip to Giles was something else. Um, and so ECU, just like that, they win a conference championship. Uh, I was actually playing an adult league softball game at the time. You were covering for us on Hoist the Colors, Jonathan. Uh, I had to tweet the championship graphic from third base as I was coaching uh, <laughs> during a big rally. Uh, we ended up losing by one run. It was a heartbreaking loss. We had the tying run on third um, and couldn't get it done. But, hey, it's a double elimination tournament for a reason. We got our chance to fight our way out of the loser's bracket. So, uh, anyways, ECU wins, uh, and really, I, you know, I don't think anybody expected it to happen that quickly. Looking back at it, maybe it, it was the worst thing that could have happened for ECU, depend, you know, basically uh, showing that the final two games didn't really have a ton to play for, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, Jonathan, but let's first focus on the achievement of winning a regular season championship, and yes, the Americans down, but still... You look across this league and really outside of Memphis and Houston, I feel like it's pretty balanced and that one through six can – maybe more two through six can really beat anybody on any given day. Um, and for the Pirates to go 20-8, and eight, survive this absolute grind of four-game series, uh, prove they were the best team far and away. They beat Tulane head-to-head, which was the second-place team. They took seven of eight against Cincinnati, which – you know, probably honestly the third best team in the league. Uh, Wichita might have an argument there, but I think Cincinnati also took a series from Wichita. So, uh, but again, back-to-back conference champions over the regular season for ECU. This was the goal heading into the year, one of many goals, but uh, a major accomplishment for East Carolina. And we shouldn't let the the final two days take away from what really is a, a great, tremendous, hell of a regular season, as Cliff Godwin said. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the expectation coming in was ECU obviously wraps this thing up and is regular season champs when it's all said and done. But like you said, the conference, I, it was a down year for the conference, but there's still some quality teams, still some quality players throughout. It's still not easy to win baseball games, especially when you're playing four-game series instead of the traditional three we're used to. Playing four games every three days, we've said it all year, it is a damn grind. It is tough on the players. It is tough on the coaches. It's tough on pitching staffs especially. And I think we saw that depth tested throughout the year. And for ECU to hold up and 
knock on wood, but without any real major injuries outside of Skylar Brooks, his hamstring issue, I think that's impressive in itself, the fact they were able to hold up. And another goal that Cliff Godwin had coming into the year, they don't want to miss any games due to COVID on their end. They didn't. They achieved that goal. The one on Houston series was canceled due to Houston's issues. But really, all in all, it was a really impressive season. ECU has a heck of a resume, and we'll get more into postseason and later on. But just the fact that they're able to wrap things up in a year like this when they weren't able to end things on their own terms last year, for the guy, especially for the guys who were here for the last time, guys like the six-year seniors in Colmore and Bridges, Tyler Smith, fifth year, and the other guys who will be leaving via the draft, it's nice to see them end their regular season ECU careers on such a high note. Yeah, winning a regular season title is, to me, so much more impressive than winning a conference tournament championship. And that's why I kind of hate that a conference tournament title is the auto bid because, really, you prove your how good of a team you are over the course of a season. Anybody can get hot over a one-week stretch and win a tournament. But to go out and win the regular season, especially when you're playing 32 freaking conference games, uh, 28 in ECU's case because of the damn Houston COVID test. But what are we doing in the American Conference? I mean, Jesus. Stop the damn four-game nonsense. Never do this again. All right, I just had to say that. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, anyways, ECU goes 20-8 and eight in league play. They don't lose any series all season long. Yeah, they split three times, but let's be real. I think they lost the finale of all three of those series, so if it was a three-game series, they would have run one against UCF, Wichita, and South Florida. Uh, so, again, a tremendous regular season. The last two games were frustrating, and you don't want that to uh, to take away from a team that went 38-13. and 13, Probably would have had 40-plus wins if the Houston series was played. So, uh, great, great accomplishment. And that's why they should host a regional regardless of what happens this weekend or this week in the conference tournament. We'll talk about that. All right, let, we have to talk about these last two games, Jonathan, because I honestly thought after they wrapped up the regular season, I thought there, there, there were two ways this was going to go. All right, ECU... Yeah, they're still playing for a national seed, potentially outside shot at one, but really all the pressure was off them in terms of winning the regular season. Like I thought they would just either go out and play extremely well because they could play pressure-free, or they would go out and play kind of lax because, A, you don't really have too much to play for, and B, these guys have been on the road now two consecutive weeks. They're probably tired. It's the end of a long season. Unfortunately, B ended up coming true, and South Florida – despite using three of its better arms in game two on Friday, ended up just really waxing ECU pretty good these final two days. Seven to nothing in game three. Uh, Jack Jaziak, I believe is how you pronounce his name, came into the game with really good numbers for South Florida. Uh, doesn't walk people. He just pounded the zone, and ECU looked pretty weak at the plate against him. Only five strikeouts combined by uh, Jaziak and Kirkering, the reliever. But ECU could not hit the ball with any authority. They get shut out 7 to nothing, And then in the finale, ECU starts well, uh, scores in the first inning to take a 2 nothing lead. But then they lose 8-2 to two as, again, the pitching struggles with throwing strikes. The offense struggles. And really, after the third inning of Game 2 of the doubleheader, Jonathan, the Pirates only scored in one more inning. So they went 25 of 26 innings not scoring is this something that concerns you, or is this more of a, hey, this is just the end of a, a long season, they're on the road, they're tired? Where do you kind of fall on the concern meter, I guess? 
Well, I guess this isn't probably the straight answer you're looking for, but I'm kind of right in the middle. You know, does it concern me? Absolutely. There's no way in the world that ECU should come out and play like that against South Florida, who they're clearly better than. There's no doubt about that. There's there's no excuse for the offense to come out and play, especially on um, set. Friday. Sorry, this Thursday got, got oh, yeah. messed up. I think I messed up like three times with those <laughs> days there, but whatever. Yeah, yeah, game three, I think is what you're saying. Yes, yes, game three. But, I mean, for me, I mean, like you said, you know, it's the end of a long season. There's a few players in ECU's lineup nursing a couple of injuries, and they have been for a while, so I think the fatigue is starting to show. Um, but in the end, no matter which starting nine, I think ECU is – deep enough in the when it comes to position players that even if one of your top guys goes out I think you're in a spot to where someone else can come in and take their spot in the lineup and you'll be in a good spot so for me in game three the fact that EC only had three hits and only two of those came from the starting nine in the lineup that's that can't happen but like you said Jay Ziak came out and he pitched exceptionally well and I mean, on Sunday, it was nice to see the early start with a couple of doubles by Francisco and AMAC. And AMAC, who it was the first game he started all weekend. I think Riley Johnson emer- Johnson's emergence has kind of made it tough for him to get at bats lately, but it was nice to see him step in. But yeah, after that, there was just nothing. Even if you got guys on, it was by weak base hits, it was by walks, it was by hit by pitches. There, were no, there was no solid contact, really, except outside of Bryson Worrell all weekend, I thought. And it's concerning a little bit just because you're going into the part of the season where if you have one of those games, once you get to a regional, your season's over. So, but I think going against a team like Memphis in the conference tournament, I think hopefully ECU's bats can wake up a little bit. But I'm not overly concerned, but I am concerned. They definitely still need to figure things out sooner rather than later. But to me, it's more of just fatigue at the end of a season. And once you kind of clinch that regular season conference tournament, I think they just took their foot off the gas a little bit. But I think they'll be ready to go on Tuesday. Yeah, if nothing else, I do think it motivates them for the conference tournament. And we know that Cliff Godwin will have them motivated. We'll talk about the importance of the tournament, what it means for seeding in a minute. Um Carson Wisenhunt, I thought he pitched better than his final line indicated. It was just that first inning that killed him, man. The the walks, uh, the walks in the final two games uh, just just killed ECU because it felt like more times than not they came around to score, especially early in the final game and then uh, in, in game three. But Wisenhunt, you still look at his his swing and miss stuff. Him and Gavin Williams get more swings and misses, whether it's strikeouts or just in counts than any other ECU pitcher. So that speaks to his stuff. He takes his first loss of the season. But, uh, I, again, I think he's getting there. I think he's getting closer to a return to form. Maybe we'll see him again in this conference tournament. But, you know, five innings, five runs allowed, the two walks in the first inning that both score on the home run, uh, but eight strikeouts and a ton more swings and misses. So I'm not too concerned about Wisenhunt. Um, you know, the, the depth beyond Wisenhunt, Smith and, and Williams as far as starters does concern me but once you get into a regional the reality is that Cliff Godwin is going to throw those three guys and Mayhew, Colmore and Bridges and that's pretty much it at least in terms of close games if you're in the winners, bra- winners bracket so um, it kind of is what it is at that point. All right 
So let's talk about we got to give away our, our hitter and pitcher of the week before we dive into kind of the regional host picture, Jonathan. Um, first, we'll do our pitcher of the week. It's a familiar name. You know, there were a couple candidates here, but, you know, Gavin Williams may have been his best all season. He did give up a run, but, you know, really it was off a couple of soft singles. 11 strikeouts, six innings, one run, three hits, no walks, no hit by pitches. He is our pitcher of the week yeah i think gavin like you said he's been dominant all year but i think this may have been his best outing yet i think his season high on the season is six and two-thirds innings pitched i think obviously if this is a normal weekend and there's not the conference tournament and then regionals coming up afterwards i think gavin Williams probably goes at least eight in this game if we're being realistic just with the way he was rolling but yeah gavin williams looked great and Cam Colmore had a good weekend. Matt Bridges had a great weekend, I thought. So honorable mention to him. But Gavin Williams is obviously the cream of the crop on the pitching staff for this week. Our hitter of the week, really not too many candidates. I mean, this is uh, this was a tough weekend at the plate outside of the first game where basically everybody had a hit. There were really no standout candidates. Uh, but one guy who was pretty consistent all weekend, he didn't have the best day in the finale, but he still hit the ball hard a couple times, is Bryson Worrell. I want to say he lined out, he lined it to the double play, and then he lined out the center field. So, I mean, despite an offer on Saturday, he still hit the ball well. And then three for five in the opener, one for three with a uh, three three run homer in the second game, and then one for three in the third game. So, really good weekend for Bryson Worrell. Yeah, we talked all week um, just about, you know, ECU's offense. A lot of singles this week, not really a lot of extra base hits outside of Bryson Worrell. He had the two triples in game one. He had the home run in game two. And then, you know, he was really – I think he had a double on Friday. And he was really the only guy really consistently putting the bat on the ball and putting in play and putting the defenders in a tough spot to make plays. Like you said, he had the line out the center field, which I think just about got over his head. He had the line out double play, just bad luck. He hit the ball hard all weekend. It was nice to see him break out the way he did on Thursday. And he went 5-15 for 15 with a homer, four runs driven in, and a walk on the weekend. Audible mention to Connor Norby, as always, 6-17 for 17 with two runs batted in and two walks. But Bryson Worrell, I thought he came came in in big spots this weekend. So I think he it's nice to see him get this award, I believe, for the first time this year. Yeah, and it was tough to see Norby's uh, 56 own game streak end in the shutout loss. So. Uh, but he did bounce back with a couple hits in the finale. Our rookie of the week, man, he's becoming a staple. Danny, the Hitman Bill, two shutout innings. Um, we we're kind of doing it as a a joke at this point, but at the same time, Danny Bill, he has not given up a run since March seventeenth. Wow! And his ERA is down, Jonathan, to two four five which is third best on the team over 14 appearances. Danny Bill, you know, he's only struck out seven and, and walked seven, so not the greatest ratio there. But opponents are only hitting 158 against him and 38 at bat, so clearly he's tough to hit when he's in the zone. So Danny Bill is our rookie of the week. Yeah, we talked about how dominant Gavin Williams is on Thursday in game one, but Danny Bill, I thought it was an interesting choice to kind of follow him up. And he came in, he threw two winnings, got a strikeout, one walk, one hit. Nowhere in runs, like you said. And Danny, you said earlier in the show that, you know, Cliff is probably going to throw 
Gavin, Wisenhunt, Tyler Smith, and then Bridges, Colmore, and Mayhew, and that's it. I think Danny Beal has really pitched himself into that conversation. Obviously, he's not going to surpass one of the big three out of the bullpen when if you're in a big situation. But I think Danny Beal has at least pitched his way into consideration for a high-leverage role in a big moment when you get there. And I'm impressed, and I think his he's only going to get better from here. It's nice to see him pitching well to start his career as a true freshman. Yeah, he, he and Landon Ginn, even though Ginn gave up the double, uh, he came into a tough situation in the finale. I thought he pitched well. So those guys continue to come along, and uh, good to see Danny continue to, to step up in big situations. All right, let's shift uh, gears now, Jonathan. We're going to turn our attention to the, the regional hosting picture and where ECU sits in this as we head into the conference tournament. you still got a couple teams in the Pac-12 playing uh, regular season series uh, through Sunday, which we're recording this on uh, Sunday morning. And but the the rest of the comp or the rest of the country is pretty much heading into conference tournaments. So, uh, Butner Pirate, to his credit, is uh, one of our more loyal fans on Hoist of Colors, and uh, really does a great job of updating the scores of, of the teams ranked ahead of and around ECU. And then also he's got a thread on, you know, who will be the 16 host sites. We know, of course, the NCAA announced 20 potential host sites a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'll run through those right now just to, to remind people. Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas, Texas Tech, Vanderbilt, ECU, TCU, Charlotte, Gonzaga, Louisiana Tech, Pittsburgh, South Carolina, Southern Miss, and Stanford. So, you know, Butner Pirates got it breaking down, I think, in a pretty good group right now. He's got 11 locks. Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi State, Notre Dame, Ole Miss, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas, Texas Tech, and Vanderbilt. And it's tough to disagree with any of those. More than likely, ECU and TCU, uh, which I, I feel good about both those teams hosting. ECU lost or lost the final two games but still split with South Florida. TCU lost the series to Kansas State, I think, after losing a series to Louisiana Monroe last week too. So they're kind of sputtering down the stretch. But I feel good unless ECU goes 0-2 in the conference tournament. And even then, I think they'd still host, but it'd probably be as a a lower seed, which you really don't want to be. Um, I think more of the intrigue going into this week, Jonathan, is about what happens with Charlotte, South Carolina, uh, the Conference USA teams, Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss. Pittsburgh's basically out. I mean, they have completely faltered. Stanford probably, I think, is going to host somewhere. Uh, they beat Oregon last night to even that series. So wh- where do you think ECU kind of sits in all this? I know that it's a lot to digest, but I-, I feel like ECU right now is pretty safe. I think they even if they go 0-2 in the conference tournament, they're hosting, but I think you could potentially go from maybe a 10 or 11 seed down to a, a 14 or 15, which you don't really want to do because then you're matched up with Arkansas or Vanderbilt or you know one of those elite teams uh, come Super Regionals. Yeah, I think I agree that ECU is probably not a 100% lock just because you never know with the committee. You really never know what they're going to take into consideration. And But in my mind, ECU is 99% locked up as a host. And I, I think, like you said, you know, if ECU comes out and plays well in the conference tournament, I think they their ceiling is probably a 10 in my eyes. I think I could see them as high as a 10 if they come out and win the conference tournament. 
I think if they play well but don't win the conference tournament, maybe the 11 to 12 to 13 range. But if you go on two, I think you're, you're probably down there in the 14 to 16 range. Personally, I don't see ECU falling no, any lower than 13 in my eyes. But I also haven't kept up as much with other teams. But I think I agree with you. I think Stanford hosts somewhere. Charlotte probably played themselves out of a hosting spot this weekend, if, if I'm remembering correctly. So but, they, they actually came back and won. Uh, man, they were trailing. So they they were this close to losing a series UNCW at home. I think it was four. Wow. I think it was thirteen to eight going to the bottom of the ninth, and they came back and won. So, oh wow! I think that they, I think they're still there right now. They're right on the cusp. The thing with Charlotte is, I mean, uh, there's been some talk NC State could be sent to Charlotte or Gastonia, wherever the hell they're hosting some minor league park, as the one, and Charlotte as the two. I wouldn't rule that out with the way State's playing. Even though I, th- I still think it's more likely State comes to ECU or goes to, you know, if Charlotte, let's say Charlotte's a sixteen seed. They're probably getting one of the stronger two seats, so they're probably getting either South Carolina or NC State, uh, if unless, unless South Carolina hosts, of course. Uh, ECU, unfortunately, as it stands right now, if they host, I think they're probably getting one of those teams, uh, which makes for a tough, a tough draw in a regional. Yeah, I think that NC State is one of the hottest teams in all the college baseball right now, and I, I talked a lot of, I joked a lot of earlier in the year about how you know NC State just isn't good. And, man, have they proven me wrong. NC State is playing great baseball right now, and they scare me as a potential two-seed. South Carolina scares me as a potential two-seed. And, honestly, like you said, I, I don't really see ECU getting away from one of them. I, it just seems like it's going to happen, which is, you know, unfortunate. But in the end, you know, to get to the end, you'll be good teams. And test yourself against the best of the bunch right away in regionals. You know, if you win that regional, I think it sets you up well to likely play an even better team once you get to Supers. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you get in these regionals, and very rarely are you going to get, like, a week two seed. And it, even if you think you get a week two seed, it's not a week two seed. I mean, ECU went to Virginia as a three seed one year and won the regional in three games. So, um, it's uh, every team you face is going to be good. You know, the biggest thing for me is ECU is going to play in front of a packed house uh, at home, and you're likely going to have, if everything goes well, Gavin Williams on the mound versus whoever is in that second game. If you get a favorable, you know, first game draw, of course, you can afford to throw somebody else. But, um, so I mean, whoever comes to ECU, they got to beat ECU in their house. So I think that, yeah, it's cool to look in the matchups and forecast it, but I think. Beating Gavin Williams in Clark Claire Stadium, good luck with that uh, to whoever wants to try and do that. So um, we'll talk about that more when we get there. Uh, let's talk about the conference tournament. Jonathan, you know, with ECU, the, this stupid four-game series, now you got to turn around and play uh, on a short week. Some teams strategize for the conference tournament, like South Florida through – it's best two starters for three innings, so those guys will be fresh for the tournament. Memphis, I saw, did not throw Chris Durham, who is the lefty that kind of shut down ECU during the regular season, even though his numbers are kind of all over the place. I wouldn't be surprised if he pitches against ECU on Tuesday, but it brings up an interesting strategy for ECU. Who do you throw on Tuesday? You don't want to throw Gavin Williams on short rest right ahead of a regional. Um, is, it, is it a staff day? 
How important is this game? I guess you just have a lot to consider if you're uh, the Pirates. Yeah, you know, you had your rant earlier, but now it's my turn. I think the American, once again, is just – I think this is stupid the way it's laid out. You even, I get you move up the last regular season series from Thursday to Saturday, from Thursday to Saturday instead of Friday to Sunday, but then you're still going off a three days rest and you play at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday – to start the conference tournament. Like, what in the world are they thinking? I think, it, like you said, it sets up um, the teams that are not in contention to win a regular season title to be better prepared for the conference tournament because they don't have to throw their best guys. But ECU, coming into the weekend, they they had to. And they still had to win the last couple of games, I feel like, for seeding purposes. You know, every game was important. But for a game like, like you said, Memphis, you know, they're locked into the – last seed no matter what just because i mean they're they're not great but i mean it sets them up they don't have to throw any of their best guys no matter who it is and now they can pitch right away in the conference tournament but ran over there oh well but i think it does set up an interesting situation for ecu on the mound on tuesday gavin williams will not pitch i don't think um tyler smith will pitch carson wisenhunt will not pitch and you know, I think we kind of all rolled through a few scenarios in our head over the weekend. You know, one of them I had in my head was I think Garrett Saylor starts on Tuesday. I one point I had a text sent out to you that I put my own Garrett Saylor starting on Tuesday. And then he came out and pitched yesterday. Granted, he didn't pitch a whole lot, but I don't know. It I genuinely and I guess you never really know with, with Coach Godwin. He's gonna pull a curveball and he's gonna do what he thinks is best no matter what is the perceived best thing to do by fans because he knows best. He's the coach. He's the guy who's dealing with these pitchers. But I genuinely have no idea who's going to start. It's going to be a overall staff day, I think. I, whether you see someone like Cam Colmore start, I, I don't know if that happens either. But it's going to be a staff day, and I think we're going to see probably six-plus pitchers pitch on the day overall for ECU, no matter which way you go for the starting nod. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the pitcher stats right now. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't know who you start. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I guess you could conceivably start Tyler Smith. He threw 72 pitches on short rest. But again, you know, you're not going to do it with Gavin. <clears throat> I don't think it's ideal to do it with Smith. If you do, I mean, he's probably not going too deep into the game. Um, you know, Colmore at least does have starting experience, but do you really want to throw your best reliever right out of the gate? Uh, it's just it creates some tough tough decisions for Coach Goblin. I do agree. I don't think there's any way Gavin Williams starts this game. Uh, Sailor to me makes sense. I mean, he has started twice. Granted, the results have been mixed, but when he's on, he's really good. And if he's on early, you can leave him in, let him go three four innings. If he's not, then you can go straight to Colmore, whoever. Uh, but I mean, there's really no slam dunk starter here. Uh, I just don't feel really great about anybody outside of Gavin Williams, to be quite honest, to go start a game and pitch really well. I mean, I just think more – you know, the games that Gavin Williams hasn't started lately have turned into bullpen games anyway. So, regardless of who you start, you're probably going to see a little bit of everything. And you, your offense has to show up in this tournament. Specifically Tuesday, I don't care if Memphis is throwing its better arms. Uh, they've got one guy with the ERA under four. So, the offense should be able to have some success. If they struggle again on Tuesday and don't have a good approach, then I'll be more concerned. Um, but you know, Memphis is going to be playing for a lot. They got one of the best guys in the league 
and um, I can't think of his name right now. We just talked Hunter about him. Good, Goodman. Goodman, yeah. Goodwin. Goodman. 21 home runs, and that's with top. him not even getting pitched to, probably. It's top five in the country. So, I mean, uh, don't give Hunter Goodman anything to pitch or anything to hit, and hopefully the offense shows up. But I think it's a favorable first-round draw, all things considered. You're the home team. You're the number one seed. If you win, then you can throw Gavin Williams on Thursday on normal rest, and then if you win that game, you don't have to play again until Saturday. So, really, finding a way to win this first game is critical. Uh, Memphis also, by the way, has an RPI of 224. So if you want to tank your RPI, if you lose that first game, you could drop a legit five, six spots. So that's why I think it's important ECU finds a way to win this first game. Yeah, and looking back on it, I think Garrett Saylor only had one one appearance on the mound this weekend. Granted, it was yesterday, and he did throw 32 pitches. But now that but now that I think about it, I thought he pitched one more time over the weekend. He's probably a serious candidate to start. I, I wouldn't think, you know, a Colmore, a Mayhew, they would want to start out with them just because you obviously want to have them ready to go for the entire tournament. But, yeah, Tuesday is a very important game. Whether or not you believe ECU needs to win the conference tournament or should put everything in to win the conference tournament, like you said, when you're still playing for, you know, a seeding, and you might not think the difference between – a 10 to an 11 to a 13 to a 14 seed might matter. It does matter with who you're matched up with and who you play later on. And it's going to matter based on that's going to affect which two seed you get, which three seed you get, what teams are in your regional. It all matters. It all matters. Maybe even more than I've given it credit for, but it does matter. This conference tournament is important for ECU at the very least for a confidence standpoint obviously not ending the regular season on the way you want to with those last two games. So coming in and playing well and really kind of putting your foot on the gas right away, I think will do wonders for ECU's confidence going into regionals. And like we said, we'll just have to find out who starts on Tuesday because realistically we'll find out at about 12 o'clock. Yep. Yep. You're right. I mean, that's the thing is, uh, wouldn't be surprised if they try to keep it quiet and Memphis does the same, but we'll, we'll find out. And, um, again, all the tournament games will be streamed on ESPN plus, and we will have coverage for you on hoistacolors.net. The last thing I want to talk about Jonathan is, you know, really the conference needs somebody other than ECU to win this tournament because Tulane absolutely pardon my French shit the bed, uh, in their series against Cincinnati they went from an RPI, I think, of like 50-something all the way down to 77. Their at-large hopes are probably gone, uh, to be quite frank. So, you know, ECU, as much as they would like to win the championship, and obviously they're not going to lay down for anybody, but the conference almost needs somebody else to win the championship because uh, a one-bid league for the fifth-best RPI league uh, it would not be a good look. Uh, so many of these teams have just beat each other up, and it's really kind of set up an interesting scenario heading to the conference tournament. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple teams when I look at it that I think are capable of making a run. Obviously, Cincinnati is red hot right now. I think – I mean, they did it the last tournament we had, and I think they're a strong contender to do it again. And I think the other team that I look at that I think could potentially make a run is Central Florida. Of course, both of those teams are – on ECU's side of the bracket, which is a little unfortunate. The teams that I look at with the best shots and making a run. But I don't know. Yeah, like you said, it would be big. I mean, Tulane went from looking like an almost every projected regional, a three seed, 
in every pretty much every projection over the last month. But with the way they've played, really since they've played ECU, I think, after they played ECU and they lost that series, it's gone downhill for them. And maybe I'm remembering wrong. Maybe they were sputtering a little bit before, but they just have not played well over the last stretch of the regular season. And they've played them. I don't think they make the tournament if they don't if they don't win the conference tournament. But we'll see. But it would be nice to see someone else win. I don't know if ECU wins it. I have a gut feeling someone like Cincinnati or UCF makes a run and wins it. Bold yeah. Prediction. Yeah, I think um, if Cincinnati or UCF can beat ECU slash Memphis in that second game, they've got a shot. Uh, I, you know, Wichita State on the other side also kind of intrigues me. I feel like they've got three or four pretty good pitchers. Um, they can hit. They're, they're, they're very streaky, and I feel like if they kind of get rolling – they could be the team on that side of the bracket because I don't have a whole lot of conviction in South Florida or Houston. Houston is the team that I would not want to face in the first round because you're going to probably face Robert Gasser, so that's a tough first-round matchup for Tulane. Um, so they're going to have trouble getting by that game, especially with the way they've been uh, pitching lately. So, But we'll see what happens. There's a lot of intrigue. You know, The one thing I'll say, and I posted this on the board, again, go back to the American. They really screwed ECU having to to close the season with back-to-back road series and then stay on the road for this conference tournament, the Pirates have basically spent the last three weeks of their season on the road before regionals. And let's say they make it to the championship game on Sunday. Uh, They will have been basically on the road for three weeks, and then they're able to come back and then go straight into selection show, straight into all that BS. So there's just a lot that the conference could have done to make this more even for ECU or any other team don't have the teams finish with two series in a row on the road, didn't go to the conference tournament. I mean, that's just a lot to ask. The Pirates spent, what, maybe one or two days, one and a half days in Greenville last week before hitting the road again after Cincinnati. So um, I'm not trying to make excuses for the team, but I think that does have something to do with the the fatigue setting in. And now they got to go play again in Florida. So I think whatever happens this week, regardless of the last two games, I think whenever they get back to ECU and they knock on wood – host a regional, uh, I think you're, we're going to see a re-energized team in front of a packed house. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Not to look ahead to the conference or look past the conference tournament, Jonathan, but I think we are kind of uh, looking ahead a little bit, just to be quite honest. Yeah, for sure. I think it's hard not to. You know, when you're at this point in the season, and it's kind of dragged on a little bit just since we, we've talked about it all year. I've talked about it already today. But these four-game series were a drag all year. And it, it made the season feel longer to me. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But now that you're at the point to where you're in postseason play, you want to get to the games that truly affect – not that the conference tournament doesn't affect you know your season, but if you lose the conference tournament, your season's not over if you're ECU. I like the high energy. I like the high stakes. I like the really important – the really, really important games – where if you don't win, your season is over. I'm excited for that energy back inside Clark LeClaire Stadium, hopefully. But, you know, and I'm, I will be in Clearwater next week. I think for anybody who's not doing anything next week, I say Cliff God will love me for saying this, but make the trip down to Florida. It's an $8 day pass and a $36 tournament pass. You can buy tickets on the phone or at the stadium. I'll be there with a group of four. I can't make it until the Thursday games, unfortunately. So hopefully ECU isn't, you know, 
done playing by the time I get there. But that would be really unfortunate. But if you're going out there, go out. Let's make it loud. Let's make the let's make the team hear us. And I think it'll be a fun time in Clearwater. I'm but I'm excited for regionals no matter what. My favorite thing about that speech from Jonathan is I'm really excited about the games that really matter, but I am going to the conference tournament as well. <laughs> so, I mean, at least you are supporting the boys. You'll be there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be covering it as well. All right, Jonathan, let's get out of here, man. We, we discussed a lot. Your computer also crapped itself in the middle of this podcast, but we did a good <laughs> job of saving it so people won't even realize it. Uh, but soon we will have a regional preview podcast and that'll be a lot of fun. But, um, I think we're all, you know, looking forward to that. But we'll see how this this week plays out, and we'll have the latest for you on Hoist of Colors. But thanks again, Jonathan, for joining us. Yeah, glad to be back. And it's been a fun regular season, and it's been one like no other, I think. But I took a look back. I, I had to throw this in here as well. But I took a look back at our final predictions that we made right before the season. And I go, I'm not going to lie, you didn't do so hot. Yeah, yeah. I think I, there was a reason I didn't try and bring it up. <laughs> I think, honestly, Lee probably did better than either of us. But, you know, humble brag, I did kind of call Connor Norby's monster season. I said he was going to lead the team in homers. Obviously, he finished in second. And my biggest humble brag, I think maybe at a left field, Connor Norby led the team in stolen bases by a lot. Humble brag, called that, had to throw it out there. You've done it when you've made predictions. It was my time to shine right here. It was fun, but I I post a comment on the board, so it should be up there if you want to look back and roast us for our predictions, especially in my breakout player pick. Just let it be known, if Lane Hoover would not have had his face shattered, he would have. Uh, he probably would have been up there. But Norby had a great, you know, and if Norby didn't have the quad too, he probably would have had even more, so... Uh, he's got very underrated speed and uh, let it be known. You also picked Christian Smallwood as your breakout player <laughs> and he had one hit this season. It was a big one, of course, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and I did call the first home run of the season, Seth Cadell. So nothing else even really matters. Well, you also did predict Jake Kuchman to leave and almost lead in every pitching category, but hey, that, that, you know, not to rail on, not to rail on him, but. We all we all made our mistakes. The fun part is making the predictions. The sad part is looking back on. No doubt, no doubt. Well said. All right, yeah, check that out on the Hoist Colors message board, Jonathan. It's been a lot of fun. We will uh, catch up with you again next week. Until then, you've been listening to the Hoist Colors podcast. Your Pirates are the regular season AAC champs. We will recap the conference tournament and look ahead to a regional next week. Thanks for listening.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 